Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, here we are. It's the last week of this 15-month journey through the Gospel of John. If you're brand new, don't worry, I'm going to catch you up right now. I'll go back to the very beginning. The Gospel of John was written by a guy named John. Okay, he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Some say that he was Jesus' best friend during his earthly ministry. But then decades and decades and decades after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, John's an old guy. He's living in this city called Ephesus. Out of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, John is the last one still alive. And one day, he feels like God inspires him to write down the story of Jesus, which is kind of interesting because... Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already done that. And yet here's John, the fourth of the four New Testament Gospels. John would have read Matthew, he would have read Mark, he would have read Luke. But it's like God inspired John to fill in the gaps that needed to be filled in to tell the stories that still needed to be told. It's really interesting when you think about old man John sitting in Ephesus, and he gets to the end of John chapter 20. This is what he writes. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And I get this sense of old man John signing his name, writing the end, pushing back from the desk and walking away. And I don't know how long he would have spent away from that manuscript. Might have been hours, days, weeks. I don't know for sure, but at some point, John comes back to it even though he tied it all up, and he writes one more chapter, chapter 21. To understand why John wrote this epilogue to his gospel, you would have to understand this. As you read through John over and over and over again, you come to this understanding that Jesus is actually the human representation of the character, nature, and the person of God. Eugene Peterson said it this way, that when God sent Jesus, he put on skin and bone and moved into our neighborhood. You want to know God? Just get to know Jesus. So when you read through John's gospel, you see that God is great, you know? Like Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. God is great. And you get the sense that God is good. Like Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins. But then here we are in this epilogue, John chapter 21, and it's almost like John writes it to just make one more point absolutely clear. John chapter 21 basically says this, God is great, and God is good. God is good. God is good even when, especially when, I'm not. By the way, if you've never heard the word before, the word for that is grace. And please know this, at the time that John wrote his gospel, grace was a revolutionary concept. That you don't have to do good to get good, that's revolutionary. So John chapter 21 is all about this guy named Peter. I've said before that Peter is probably the most relatable person in the whole Bible, you know? And Peter is this imperfect person with a powerful purpose and an incredible destiny, just like you and me. And just like you and me, though, 
Peter biffs it sometimes. He fails sometimes. He messes up sometimes, you know? And, and if you read through the events surrounding the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus, you see that Peter actually let Jesus down. Not once, not twice, but three times. And so in John chapter 21, there's this incredible moment because Jesus has risen. He's been resurrected and he sits down with Peter. He says, hey, Peter, you know you're still completely loved, right? You know that you're completely and totally forgiven, right? Hey, Peter, you know that the best is still yet to come, right? See, God's good, even when, especially when I'm not. That's grace. I was in a bit of a conundrum, though, because I've already preached through John 21. Like, a couple months ago, I wanted to kind of do the whole story arc of Peter. So I went with Peter right from the arrest of Jesus right through John chapter 21. And so I was like, well, what do I do? Do I, do I end the journey through John last week? But I kind of felt like I shouldn't. I, I want to do an epilogue, an epilogue like John did. You know, I, I think he would approve. And so today, in this last week of this journey through John, it's an epilogue called grace. Revolutionary concept. What I want to do is I want to tell you a story that Jesus first told a couple thousand years ago. And I can tell you something. If, if you're here for the first time or you're tuning in online for the first time and church is really not your thing, man, I'm so stoked that you're here. The news is so good. This whole grace thing is as revolutionary today as it ever has been. Or maybe you're here today, you're tuning in online today, and you were raised in an environment or you've been around an environment that teaches something a little bit like grace, but not quite. It goes like this. God is great, okay, okay, got it. And God is good, as long as you're good. You see the difference? That's performance-based acceptance. And I wanna tell you, I'm so glad you're here. If that's what you've been taught, if that's what you've come to believe, the news is so much better than that. I can't wait for you to hear this. See, the story that Jesus told a couple thousand years ago, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. And just before I tell it today, I want to talk to one more group of people. You're a long time church attender maybe. And you say, maybe even as I said, I'm gonna talk about the parable of the prodigal son. You were like, oh, you gotta be kidding. I've heard that thing like a hundred times. You know, and grace has ceased to become revolutionary for you. That sometimes people like me and you who have been in church for a long time, grace is just kinda, it just doesn't seem that amazing anymore. We sort of start to take it for granted we cease to be as grateful as we once were, you know? And one of the ways that you can tell that's happening is you stop extending grace to other people. I was reading today that if you look at your life and you see you're lashing out a lot, lashing out at other people a lot, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if you've lost the amazing nature of grace. Or more likely, actually, you've stopped extending grace to yourself. You're not lashing out, you've been lashing in. 
man, I'm so happy that you're here. I have a request. If you've heard this story a hundred times, if this is 101, can you please listen with new ears? Can you ask God to give you new ears to hear a story that maybe needs to be brand new today for you? See, because there was a village. And in this village, there was a man who lived with his two sons. And it's funny because the people from that village, they, they thought they knew what love looked like, but they had never seen love like the way that this man loved his two boys. One day, the younger of the two sons walks up to his dad and he says, hey dad, I want my inheritance, give it to me now. I want my inheritance, give it to me now. Please understand something. When Jesus told this story, he would have been telling it to a group of first century Jewish people. When, when Jesus said that line, that the son came to the dad and said, give me my inheritance now, they would have been visibly, they would have been audibly moved. Like this was an outrage. This was ugly. This was like the kid coming up to his dad and saying, hey, pops, I wish you were dead. The only thing I really like about you is your money, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for you to kick the bucket, but it's not happening. So can you just give me the cash, and I'm gonna leave. In that culture at that time, kid who did that to his dad, he could have been banished, he could have been beaten, he could have been thrown in jail, he could have even been killed. So the crowd that was listening to Jesus tell this story, they would have been ticked. Like, what's the old man gonna do to this kid? That's outrageous. Turns out, though, Jesus says this father, he decides to give the kid exactly what he asked for. Would have caused him a lot of hardship, right? Because now he's gotta sell flocks and herds and land that he's not ready to sell. Because as a younger of the two sons, he gets one third of everything that the dad owns. It would have been really humiliating too because everyone in the village would have known what's going on. And they would have been look, looking at the, the dad going, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> You're not gonna have your kid beaten? You're not gonna throw him in jail? You're giving him what he wants? What a joke. Mostly though, it would have been heartbreaking because after he got it all together, one third of everything that he owned and he gave it to his son, and his son turned around and walked away with not, not so much as a backward glance. He knew the road that his boy was headed on was not good. But he let him go. The King James Version of the Bible says that the younger son squandered his wealth in riotous living. He partied hard. Lots of pleasure, the best that money could buy. But then three things happen in quick succession that reverse his fortune completely. Number one, he runs out of money. Number two, he realizes he has no friends. And number three, a famine hits that land. So he runs out of money. He looks around and he's thinking, well, all these people that I was partying with, I gave them money, they're gonna help me out. They're, no, they're nowhere to be found, they're gone. And then a famine hits the land. At the risk of stating the absolutely obvious, a famine is a shortage of food. Shortage of food, shortage of food. Not enough food to go around. This kid, he ain't from around there. So the last thing that the, these people from this distant country wanna do is feed this kid. Go home, kid. Go home, but, but according to Middle Eastern hospitality rules, especially in the first century, they couldn't just kick him out. And so they did the next best thing. They said, hey, there's only really one job we can offer you. 
There's really only one job that we can offer you that might give you a chance of staying alive. Here's what it is. Uh, you're gonna be looking after pigs. You want that job? See, they, they knew that there's no way this kid was gonna take that job. He's a Jewish kid, right? Like Jewish people, they, they can't be around pigs. They can't touch them. They most certainly can't look after them. So it was their way of saying, hey, kid, we hate you. <laughs> like, get out, go home. You're not welcome here. This kid takes the job. It's interesting, you know, Jesus told that story a long time ago. I find it pretty fascinating how timeless the story is. You look around our culture today, three of the major issues that our culture is dealing with today, financial stress, loneliness, isolation, slash enmity. Exactly what this kid was dealing with. They're like, hey, feed pigs, that'll make him go home. He takes the job, you know, and he's not making enough to live on. So you get the sense that eventually he's so weak from hunger, one day he's looking after the pigs, he basically passes out in the pig pen. He's on his hands and knees, and Jesus said he would have been glad to eat the slops that the pigs were eating, but he couldn't outfight the pigs for the slop. And at that point, at that point, the kid decides to head home. It should be noted that this father, he never stopped loving his boy. And, and this boy, when the parties were at their best, and when he's passed out in a pig pen, he never stopped needing his dad. See, when you and I hear this story, it seems kind of odd, because why did the kid wait so long to go home? Like, let me get this straight. You run out of money, you realize you have no friends, there's a famine that hits the land, everybody in that land hates you and wants you to leave, and he still doesn't leave. He, he only leaves when he's basically dying of hunger. No one who was listening to, that, to Jesus on that particular day would have been surprised, however. See, they would have known something that maybe we don't know. There was no way home for this boy. See, they knew that as this boy made his way home, that word would have traveled fast. It would have reached the village. I want you to imagine the scene. This, this kid is emaciated. I mean, he's skeletal. Just about starved to death. No shoes, stumbling down the road back home. He's filthy, he's dirty, he stinks. And the village where he's from would have been preparing a ceremony for him called Kezezah. Kezezah was a ceremony. In English, we would call it the breaking. The breaking. The first step would be they would send out all the teenage boys from the village while he was still a long way off. So while this kid is stumbling home, emaciated and broken completely, the teenage boys from the village would have been sent out. And, and they would have gone to him and they would have been like, hey man, you're looking good. How'd it go in the distant country? You look like you lost a little weight. Hmm, too good for our village, eh? You kind of stink a little bit. They would have thrown things at him, they would have spit on him, and they would have ushered him to the gates of the village. And before he was allowed to step into the gates of the village, what would have been awaiting him was all the elders from the village, with the exception of one. One man who most definitely would not have been there would have been his dad. Part of Kezezal would be that the dad would never be there. His son has rejected 
his family, his family will now reject him. His father would have been aloof in his own home, never to see his son again. His mom, however, would have been allowed. His mom would have been allowed, and it was considered a mercy that she could see him one more time before he was sent away to die in a ditch on the side of the road somewhere. And when he reached the gates of the village and the village elders were standing there, one of them would have had a clay pot. That's Kesezal. One of them would have had a clay pot and they would have taken it and they would have thrown it down and broken it at this boy's feet. And the message was clear. You've broken trust. You've broken faith. You've broken your father's heart. You are broken to us. You are irreparable to us. You turned your back on us. We are now completely turning our back on you. You've rejected us. We are completely and totally rejecting you. Turn around, kid. Die in a ditch in the side of the road. You ain't coming in here. See, that's what the first century audience to Jesus' story would have known was what was awaiting that boy. So they would not have been surprised that he waited so long. But eventually he's passed out in a pig pen. I mean, he's gonna die. And so when it comes to survival, when the chances are slim and none, you go with slim. So the kid heads home. And he's thinking, maybe, just, maybe, just, maybe, just, maybe, I'll be able to talk to my dad. By some fluke, he'll be out in a field, I'll see him. And he rehearsed this speech for his dad. The speech went like this, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your boy. Could you please make me like one of your hired hands? Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Could you please make me like one of your hired hands? Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. He was rehearsing his speech, you know? I heard the phrase before, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Man, is that true of this kid? He, he looked around in this distant country and he realized that he was completely destitute and completely and totally alone. And he realized how good he had it at home. He remembers unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. Hey, I know I can't be close to you anymore, but if I could just be in the barn, that would be better than what I've been living. The crowd that was listening to Jesus tell that story that day, that would have all made sense to them. They would have been looking forward to the reception this kid got, this breaking ceremony. But that's where the story gets crazy. See, Jesus says the father in this particular story, every single day since his kid left, what he did is he went to the very edge of his property. And it says what he did is he, he stared out down the road, the same road that his kid left on, he keeps staring down that road hoping that one day he might catch sight of his son coming back. Day after day, after week, after week, after a month, every single day, this father's out there gazing, hoping, hoping, hoping to catch sight of his son. And one day he does. Bible says that he was moved by love and compassion when he sees his kid. It's funny what English translators translate into moved by love and compassion is actually a Greek word that I can't pronounce. And it means this, he felt it in his intestines. No, it really does. He, he felt it in his intestines. 
like in the gut of his gut of his gut of his guts. He was overwhelmed with love and compassion for his kid. He was sick. When he caught sight of his kid on his way home, he was sick with love and compassion. Just trying to think a little bit about what that might have felt like, you know? And I remember back when I was 23 years old and Karina and I were expecting our first baby, ended up being baby Tori, you know? And I was so stressed out, you know? I was so stressed out because I was so scared that when our baby was born, I wasn't gonna love our baby. Because I was watching people in our culture and they just say really weird things, okay? So they see a little, bit, a little baby and they go, oh, he, he's so beautiful. But babies aren't beautiful at all. They're like purple aliens, okay? And so it's like, and I, and I kept hearing people say that, oh, the baby's so beautiful. And I was like, what's, uh, what's gonna happen if like the baby is born, I'm in the delivery room, and the doctor's like, look, a baby. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome, but I don't really feel it. You know, I was a little bit stressed about it. So then I'm there in the delivery room, and Tori was born. And the doctor says, hey, Dad, this is your daughter. And I felt love like I've never felt love before. I felt it in my heart. I felt it in my gut. Like I was dizzy, my knees got weak. I almost fell over because of the absolute love that I had for that little purple alien. (laughs) That's a little tiny picture of how God feels when he sees you. See, this father was sick with love and compassion for his kid. So much so that Jesus said he ran, he raced to his boy. He ran as fast as he could to his kid, which was bizarre in that culture. Men didn't run. Men wouldn't run in that culture. The reason why is because they all wore these long robes, you know? And if you're gonna run, you gotta like yank up your robes and bare your legs. Men didn't do that in the first century. Aristotle said men don't bare their legs. Like no culture in the first century would men run. Like a five-year-old little boy might run. A slave on the lowest rung of the social ladder might run, but it was way too degrading, way too humiliating. No father, no self-respecting father would run. This father ran. He ran because he needed to get there before they broke the clay pot. He, he, he ran because he wanted to be there before his boy was broken beyond repair, before they turned him away to die in a ditch on the side of the road. He humiliated himself so that he could save his boy from humiliation. humiliation. This father, no matter how far his kid had wandered, he never stopped loving his boy. And this boy, no matter how far away he was, he never stopped needing his dad. See, the English translators of our Bible call this parable the parable of the prodigal son. You know what it should be called, right? It should be called the parable of the father who runs. He looks at you today and he's sick with love and compassion. No matter what distant country you might have found yourself in. Our father looked at our lives, looked at our struggles and our pain, our regret and our guilt. Took his robes, 
he pulled him up, he bared his legs, and he sent his son. You wanna know what it looks like for a father to be sick with love and compassion for his kids? You look at Jesus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was broken so that we don't have to be broken beyond repair. On the cross, Jesus experienced kezezah. Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, just for a moment on the cross, God turned his back on Jesus so that he would never, ever, ever turn his back on you. It's interesting because when the kid, when the, when the father arrives to the kid, he doesn't get his whole speech out. Remember the speech he was preparing? Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired hands. He doesn't get the whole speech out. He just says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's it. I was just trying to figure out why, you know? Maybe he's just so humiliated, so hopeless that he's just like, why bother? I think it might be though because his dad gets there, you know, before the speech is completely done and he just hugs him. He just hugs him like so hard that he like knocks the wind out of the kid. Jesus says he, he hugged him and he kissed him. And, and, and he puts this robe over top of him. And when you think about the significance of that, that robe covers his failure. It covers his shame. It covers the dirt. It covers the smell. And then he says, loud enough for everyone to hear, my son was lost, but now he's found my, my son, my son, my son, my son. My son was gone, but now he's back. He looks at the elders of the village. He says, we're gonna do something a little different today. We're not gonna break the whole clay pot thing. We're gonna do it a little different. We're gonna have a party. We're gonna have a party to celebrate my son. That's how we're gonna do it. Do you understand the revolutionary nature of grace, please do, please do. I want you to imagine this boy on his way home. I want you to ask yourself, what, what was the best of the best of the best of the best case scenario that kid would have been thinking? In his wildest dreams, as he stumbled home, desperate and starving, what do you think his best, best, best case scenario would have been? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe dad does show up and I become a hired hand. Maybe that's his best case scenario. Maybe in his wildest dreams, he allows himself, I mean, it probably won't happen, but maybe just maybe in his wildest dreams, he thinks to himself, maybe he'll restore me to the family. You know what I bet you he didn't think was gonna happen? I bet you he wasn't planning on a party. That's grace, by the way. Listen to me. Grace is better than you could ever imagine. Why did Jesus tell that story 2,000 years ago? Because he wanted you to hear it today. Please hear me, no, no matter what distant country you might find yourself in in this moment, when your father looks at you, he's sick with love and compassion. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. And some of you here today, you never realized until today that you have a spiritual home. All, all you know is that the last little while, you've been kind of feeling this gut feeling deep inside. There's gotta be more to life than this, you know? You kind of feel like there's this, this emptiness that you can't fill. These questions that you can't answer. 
There's gotta be more. And, and what I wanna tell you is that you've probably already realized it. As I've been speaking today, God's been speaking to you and he's telling you this, there is more, there is more, I'm more, I'm home. It's time to come home. Or maybe you're here today or you're watching online today and you've been around a lot of people who say this, hey man, you do good, you get good. God is good when you're good. And you've been taught performance-based acceptance and somewhere along the line, you decided, man, you didn't perform and so God will never wanna have anything to do with you again. And today you realize grace is so much more amazing than that. It's time to come home. Or maybe there was a time that you got it, you know? but you walked away or you sprinted away. And you wonder, you wonder, you wonder, is there a way back for me? I want you to think of that father standing on the edge of his property. You take one, you lean one millimeter in his direction, he's there. It's time to come home. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to. You can stay in the distant country where you find yourself today, you can. But know this, know this, know this. Your father, he'll never stop loving you. And you, you'll never stop needing him. Let's pray. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, first question I wanna ask is just really simple. Is today the day? Is today the day you come home? God loves you so much, more than you could ever imagine. He sent his son, Jesus died so that you could be forgiven. A fresh start today. He rose again so that you could experience life, the life that you were intended to live. Fully loved, fully accepted, fully empowered. Today, tomorrow, and forever. If that's you today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand right now, nice and high, so I can pray for you. It's amazing. If you're watching online and it's safe to do so, I would love it if you could raise your hand also. You can put your hands down. Let's pray quietly along with me as I pray out loud. So Jesus, thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the Father who runs. Jesus, I pray that you would be my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I pray that you would forgive my sins and give me a brand new start right now, right here and right now. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. I thank you that you rose again for me. As you stepped out of that tomb, I pray that you would give me the ability, the strength, to step into the life that I was created to live. With heads bowed and eyes closed still, I wanna to talk to a different group of you right now. I wanna to talk to the longtime church attenders, like me. And I wanna ask you, has grace become old? Have you stopped extending grace to other people or maybe, maybe, maybe more likely, have you stopped extending grace to yourself? The picture that I had this week as I was praying about this particular moment was looking back at, at Tori and remember when she was born and, and, and just that overwhelming sense of love that I felt for her in that first moment. And maybe you're here and you've been at church for a long time and you kind of get the sense that God's just a little bit exasperated with you, <laughs> a little bit bored of you, you know what I mean? Like 
you've been around for a long time and he's just not overly pleased at all. I just wanna tell you a quick story. I remember when Tori was born and the love that I felt for her, okay? Week and a half ago, Tori's two boys came over to my house and we were hanging out, it was awesome. And I remember Tori came to pick up her boys and when she walked through the door, I saw the look on her son's faces when they saw their mom, good mom. And I looked at my daughter and I loved her more in that moment than I loved her on day one. That's how God sees you. Not exasperated with you, he's not bored with you, he's not thinking you should be further along. He's sick with love and compassion for you. So today, right now, if you've been in church for a long time, but you wanna renew your gratitude, if you wanna be reminded again about the revolutionary nature of grace, you wanna walk with it, you wanna live with it, you want to love with his grace, you wanna treat yourself, you wanna treat others in light of that grace, but you just need to press into it more today, I wanna ask you in this moment, just raise your hand also, because I wanna pray for you too. My hand's up, by the way. Yeah, you can put your hands down. God, we come before you and we thank you for your amazing grace. <laughs> Will you help us to take hold of every spectacular moment that you give us? That we would live lives of joy, lives of gratitude and faith. Give us a picture. God, I pray for all of us today. Give us just a little picture of the love that you have for us. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate. It seems hard to believe to me, but next week, we're starting our Christmas series. It's gonna be incredible. Invite everyone you know. I love you. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.